If you turn your Bibles, because we've really come to the house of the Lord to study his word, amen. If you turn to Galatians chapter 2, Galatians 2. And a message that I think is not just critical to the church, but maybe the singular most essential doctrine to truly understanding who we are as Christ. It's a doctrine of the justification that we have by faith in Jesus Christ. And from that place, from God's position, he then looks at us as though we have never sinned. When you place your faith, your hope, your trust, your identity, all that you are in Jesus Christ, a holy God in heaven who's completely righteous, who knows everything about you, past, present, and future, places the righteousness of Christ in your account and judicially declares you to be absolutely sinless. Though you will continue throughout your life to stumble, stub your toe, to outright sin at times, because of the blood of Jesus Christ and because of faith alone in what Jesus has done, you have been declared righteous by a holy God. And so this morning, just as if I had never sinned, Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would speak to us through the majesty and the wonder of your word. Indeed, you are, Lord, the righteous judge. You're the king of heaven and earth, the rightful deed holder to everything, everywhere, at all times. Lord, you created us. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace that comes to us by faith, by believing in the only begotten Son. And so, Lord, speak to us now through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Pick up a rather long passage of scripture, but it's necessary for context. Verse 11. And now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. And it's important for you to understand what's going on here. The apostle Paul is actually going to confront the apostle Peter. And he does so because he was to be blamed. And I want you to listen to this because this is an area where many of us are prone to err. We act one way with a certain group of people and another way with another group of people. Notice the problem. For before certain men came from James... He would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. We can become so attached to works that we gravitate back towards works as a reference point to who we are in Christ Jesus. Peter himself errs in this way. Barnabas is sucked in with Peter. 
And so I want to spend a little bit of time making sure that we understand how it is that we actually come to a right standing before God. Because everyone in here, it's true that there is none righteous, not one. Amen? In a human sense, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not one. You see, what the Bible plainly declares about all humanity, the Bible also tells us that God can do something about that problem. The problem is, if nothing's done about it, then you carry around guilt. Because we do know that we have transgressed God's law. So when I'm speaking of justification by faith, when the Bible speaks of it, I'm speaking of the position that we now hold as God's children. As we think on our own lives, look, sin is a universal plague, amen? Anybody in here sinless? Please raise your hand because we want to meet you. (laughs) We're we're not, amen? And some of us may be more overtly than others. Some of us may be more internally than others, but all have sinned. If you don't understand that, then you absolutely could say, well, I don't need to be saved because you're saved from the penalty of your sin." You're saved from the wrath of God in that sense. We all have a price on our head. Every one of us has got an issue that we ourselves cannot solve. By the works of the flesh, we're going to find, is no one justified? And so what is Paul getting at as he confronts Peter? And I want to just briefly go through a history of this. And if you were to turn to Romans 3, which you can mark that passage, you can look at it later. But I want to share this with you because this is the same subject except to the Roman church. But now the righteousness of God, verse 21 says there in Romans 3, apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For there is no difference, and here it is, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as the propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate in this present time his righteousness that he might be just. You see, God can't ever be unjust, amen? He must always be 100% just. He can never have any sin. He can't be unjust. He can't be unfair. He can't be unrighteous ever at any point in time. Otherwise, he's not God. Notice what Paul says, verse 26, Romans 3, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, he must remain completely just, but he himself also justifies us even though he is perfect and we are not. The doctrine of justification. You see, the truth is all humanity is guilty of sin. And when you look at that condition that problem you find people in various ways trying to assuage their guilt 
And whether you're talking about indigenous people who have never uh, heard the good news of the gospel, who worship an angry God and make offerings to him, the point is you don't want the angry God dealing with you. You, you want to be in right standing with the angry God. Or maybe in a cultured, more sophisticated society, you, you can take the escape route of psychoanalytics and try and find the deep meaning as to why you do those things. Some form of human counseling might come into view. Many people try and assuage their guilt by, you know, wishful thinking. You know, let's just take a spoonful of sugar and make the medicine go down. Amen? We, 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 we get become self-indulgent even in our living or self-confident or maybe we think we are the answer to our problems. Still others take their guilt and they try and assuage that guilt with sex, drugs, rock and roll, and a whole bunch of other things. Amen? It's like, man, I, my life's a mess. I know it's a mess, so I'll just do these things. At least I'll feel better for a time. Mankind understands fully and completely that man is guilty. We stand before a holy God, and we are always going to be guilty. Even our modern cult of victimhood, or the disease model, falls into exactly the same line as all other things that we've done to try and assuage guilt. It's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. I'm actually innocent. Someone else made me do this. Or my DNA dictated that I'm incapable of not sinning. No, it's just a simple fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone is a sinner. And everyone needs a Savior. And praise God, there's one available. Amen? You see, when you were in the Old Testament times to sacrifice a ram or a goat or a pigeon or to offer up words or, or do whatever you would do did not actually take away your sin. It never remit, remitted the sin. The sin actually remained. It's just that God's wrath was forestalled. He didn't punish anyone during that time. And so as people were faithful, they waited in faith. And so as you run through the history, beginning with Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel have an argument. They both offer a sacrifice. One is accepted, one is not. One is works, one is grace. God accepts the faith offering resulting in grace, and he rejects the work offering. So Cain's offering is rejected. It looked good, smelled good, it was pretty to look at. It was works. And so as you run through the history of all the Old Testament saints, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, all the way through the Old Testament prophets, the righteous kings of Israel, there was not a single one that was ever justified by their works. They all believed by faith that Messiah would come. And so when you read Luke 16, you find Abraham's bosom and those who are righteous in the Old Testament waiting for Jesus to finish the work on the cross by faith. And so by the works of the flesh has never anyone been justified. 
You weren't justified in the Old Testament, and you can't be justified in our day and time either by the works of your flesh. Works can't save you. And in fact, the cardinal doctrine of Satan, if you want to look at it, so as you look at that hall of faith in Hebrews 11, the cardinal doctrine of Satan is that he himself believed he could make himself like the most high God. I can be more righteous than God is, is his basic claim. I will become like the most high. That's the sin that man falls into when he rejects the grace of God and says, well, I'll just do my works thing. I'll try and earn my way to heaven. And you can't earn your way to heaven because sitting in heaven is a completely righteous God. And when you get there, you might have two sins, five sins, eight sins, I don't know. Maybe some of you might get there with one. But I'm pretty sure when you get there, you're going to find out that the Bible's true. There's none righteous, not one. And without the righteousness of Christ placed in your account, without justification by faith and faith alone, you're doomed. You're doomed. And praise God, here's the great thing about faith. Ephesians chapter 2 says God will give it to you as a gift. That even faith could be turned into a work. So God says, I'm going to solve that problem. And I'm going to give you the gift of faith so that you can believe. And by believing, you will receive God's grace. And in his grace, forgiveness of your sin. And in the forgiveness of your sin, you have a right standing before a holy God. So let's break this down. Notice first here Peter's relapse. Now, remember in Acts chapter 10, for those of you that are students of the Bible, you remember there's a little situation there with Cornelius. Peter goes down to Jaffa, and there's this blanket that comes down from heaven, and on it are all kinds of really tasty things. And it is there that Peter decides he really does like bacon-wrapped ham and cheese sandwiches. That it's like, this is pretty good stuff, that all of the things that he learned as a Jew, these are foods that I should not eat. The Lord says, hey, Peter... Don't you call unclean what I have called clean. And of course he was referring to Jews and Gentiles, but he was making an example of this this giant blanket of food. And Peter's going, praise the Lord. He gets it. It's like, okay, I'm perfectly right with this. But can you see in this chapter as Paul writes to the church at Galatia how Peter went backwards towards the law? He says, well, well, I'm going to, you know, I mean, these guys aren't eating kosher. So I'm going to go over here and I'm going to look like I'm being the more righteous one by doing the kosher thing. I'm going to go hang out with them. And Paul busts him on it. Peter, what are you doing? What are you doing? Aren't you the same guy that was in Cornelius' house? Didn't you see that vision? Wasn't that you? And so now you're going to let the party of the circumcision come into the house and all of a sudden you're going to abandon God's grace? You're going to go back to the law? You're going to return to legalism? Peter, is that really what you want? How quickly we can do that. 
Because the law itself has been used to explain away all kinds of heinous things throughout our history. Amen? Can I tell you the word of God was actually used to validate the Crusades? The Spanish Inquisition. The slave trade in our country. It was the Bible that was used. The Holocaust. How about that one? We got to get rid of those rotten Jews. After all, they killed Jesus. You see, you can take the Bible and misapply its truth, and you can make it say almost anything. But when you understand the main thing, which is I have been saved by faith in Christ alone, resulting in grace in my life and forgiveness of my sin, and the Lord thereby declares me judicially righteous, not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did, then everything else takes its place. It's the cardinal doctrine. And so Peter, in his attempt to be a man-pleaser, becomes a hypocrite. Secondarily, he leads Barnabas astray. Don't let the law creep back into your lives, family. You have to resist that because the law feels good. It feels like you're being more righteous. It's like, well, if I do these things, then I'm actually better with God. We like feeling like we got the, you know, we got the I'm better at Jesus award today. We do. That's our human nature, right? And again, please don't mistake sanctification with justification. Everyone here should want to be more like Christ every day. That's sanctification. But as far as your justification being declared righteous by a holy God, that's a once and for all event. It happens when you say yes to the offer offer of Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you are as saved as you will ever be at that moment. You're not going to be more saved because you keep the Jewish law, and you're not going to be less saved because you don't. People often get confused with those two things. They confuse sanctification with justification. Praise God, I'm a saint because I've believed in the only begotten Son. Amen? I can always be a little more saintly, though. Amen? I can. I can be more like Jesus. I can have a better attitude. I can say kinder things. I can reject those things that are said in in haste or in in want. I, I can always act. My flesh is still alive, and so is yours. And so I can always do better at telling people about the Lord by the way I live my life. But as far as how saved you are, if you are not saved when you said yes to Jesus Christ by faith alone, then perhaps you could give that away. You know, I just don't feel like being saved today. Hoping none of you want to do that, but... Notice Paul's rebuke now as we finish up this particular passage of Scripture. Verse 14. And when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, you see, the straightforward truth of the gospel is, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. That's the straight truth of the gospel. It's not faith plus works. It's not faith resulting in you acting a certain way. If you are actually saved, you will begin to act a certain way, and you'll begin to think a certain way. 
But it is not that acting, it is not that thinking, it is not that change that saves you. You got saved by placing your faith, your trust, your hope, your eternity in Jesus Christ alone. Very important distinction. Because when you reverse those two things, you now have a works-based doctrine. This is what you must do so that you can be saved by faith. It's disaster waiting for a place to happen. So I said to Peter before all of them, if you being a Jew live in a manner of the Gentiles and not as Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? And we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, he's saying not sinners as the Gentiles sin. He's not saying they're not both sinners. He's just saying they sin a little differently. They have a different kind of sin. We could look at their sin and go, well, they, you know, they eat ham. It's the bacon thing. That's what makes them. You, you can always pick out someone else's sin. Amen? When you look for someone to compare yourself to, you can always find someone who's a better sinner than you. So Paul's saying, why don't you throw that out the window? Because if you're looking to find someone who's worse than you are, pretty easy to do that. Knowing that man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? He says, look, Peter, this is not about you eating meat or not eating meat. This is not about you keeping the feast days or not keeping the feast days. This is not about you wearing the yarmulke. This is not about you wearing a talus. This is not about you doing anything external. This is not about you being born to the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is about you placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the only thing that justifies you. That's how it happens. Even when we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, or by the works of the, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And if you do not have this passage highlighted in your Bible, if you are one of those people that struggles with legalism, if you struggle with works, I encourage you to highlight this chapter and also Romans chapter 4 and chapter 3 and chapter 7 and look at them frequently and often and ask yourself a very simple question. How is it I am saved? Because what happens when you look at the Bible that way, when you see yourself through the lens of Scripture, you realize that there is none righteous, not one, including me. I look at my own life and I go, Lord, Thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you for saving me. I don't deserve to be saved. And someone else does not deserve to be unsaved. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, sometimes we classify people as, well, you know, of course, they're Muslims, so they don't deserve to be saved. I've had Christians tell me that. They've looked me in the eye and said, you know, well, the reason that they were born into the Muslim faith is they were already damned before the foundation of the world. That is not what the Bible teaches. Anyone who will come can come. And to all who call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. That results in justification. But if, notice verse 17, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Why is Paul using the pronoun we? 
because he's including himself. He's saying we're all sinners. Every last one of us, Paul included. Paul was still a sinner when he wrote these words. He's a saved sinner. He's a redeemed sinner. He's a forgiven sinner. He's a justified sinner. He's a sanctified sinner, but he's still a sinner saved by grace. That came from the faith to believe. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Mind-boggling truth. There are five basic things that we can look at in this passage. Because I've been justified by grace and through faith, when you think on these things, I want you to understand a couple of things. When you think on your own walk with the Lord, if you're a believer, you're part of the one true church, amen? You're part of the one true church. There are all kinds of different representations of that one true church, but there is exactly one true church. And when you think on who you are in Christ, I have been justified by grace through, grace through faith in Christ. I have not been justified because I go to Calvary Chapel. I'm not justified because I'm a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Lutheran or a Methodist. I'm not justified by works. I, I don't just go to church so much that I'm automatically saved. You're not justified by your lineage or your heritage. You're not justified by your race. You're not justified by some creed that you spoke. You were justified by exactly one thing, and that is faith in Christ Jesus as Lord. Amen? This is so important because this will wipe out all of the things that we argue over in churches. You know, the one thing that binds us together is we're all saved the same way and we're all part of the same church in that sense. Amen? That's why when the church argues and bangs its head one against the other, we start to misrepresent God. What does this justification mean to us? This incredible doctrine of our faith. It was the watchword of the protestant reformation as martin luther read romans chapter 1 verse 17 and so the just shall live by faith he looked at he was stunned because he was coming away from the religiosity of the roman catholic church he had written his 95 thesis nailed it to the church door at wittenberg and as these these 95 points these things that he had odds with the church every last one of them deleted the necessity of faith it made it so you needed to join the church in order to be saved 
that the church itself had all the answers. And so Martin Luther says it can't be so. He reads this verse and he says, look, there's only one way that my debt is squared away. There's only one way that I can be made right in the eyes of God. I have been justified by faith in Christ alone. And so in this passage, Paul says, look, there is a judicial declaration. You think in a legal sense, and it's probably the best way to look at this particular passage. Justification is actually an act of God. God makes a pronouncement. He gets up from the bench in heaven. He knows exactly what your life is, who you are, everything you have done in the past, everything you did today on the way to church, and everything you're going to do for the rest of your life. And because you have believed by faith in Christ, the judge stands up from the bench and he declares you not guilty. Now that doesn't mean you aren't guilty. That means the judge has declared you not guilty. Make sure you make that distinction. Because you are still guilty. And so in order to take care of that particular problem, the judge of heaven takes the righteousness of Christ and places it in your account so that when your account is called up, the righteousness of Christ shows up. In a banking sense, imagine it this way. You have your bank account, and then Elon Musk puts all of his money in it. Okay? And you go to make a withdrawal, and you're thinking, well, honey, it's 100 bucks worth of groceries. We might be okay. And all of a sudden, you can do that about 100,000 times, and it's still okay. When Christ's righteousness is put in your account... There's so much righteousness in your account that no matter who you are and where you go, when you have believed by faith in the only begotten Son, you can never out-sin the grace of God and the righteousness of Christ. It doesn't mean you should sin. It doesn't mean that you are encouraged to sin. It means that when you sin and if you sin, those sins, 100% of them, will be covered and the declaration will always stand true guiltless hallelujah amen think about it because if it's up to you to keep your own faith now should you attempt to be righteous absolutely should you live a holy life absolutely but you are not saved because you do those things you're saved because the judge in heaven placed the righteousness of Christ in your bank account in heaven. And when you sin, every last one of them gets wiped out by Christ's righteousness. So that when someone looks at your account, sinless is what shows up. Not guilty, even though you are still guilty. It's not just forgiveness, by the way. It's also different than a pardon. A pardon means that the criminal record actually goes away. Your criminal record is still your criminal record. But you're absolutely guiltless of it. That's why Paul includes himself. Notice the, the plural pronoun. We. Sinners. Includes himself in it. That's what produces that freedom from the law. That, that's why legalism always draws us back to death that's why the amazing grace of God is the amazing grace of God amen 
His unmerited favor sets aside all the penalty that we should incur. That's what his grace does. His unmerited favor takes the junk of your life and sticks it somewhere where God himself no longer sees it, even though it's still there. He says, no. When I look at Jeff, I just see Jesus. When I look at his history, I see Jesus. When I look at his present, I see Jesus. When I look at his future, I see Jesus. That's how magnificent the grace of God is. Mind-boggling. You see, to that sense, the law says do. Do this. Do that. Be this. Be that. And grace through faith says it's already done. Christ already did it. Everything necessary for you to be seen as righteous in the eyes of a holy God was done at Calvary's cross when Jesus said, to tell us that is finished. This is a mind-boggling truth. It is a truth that we as the body of Christ not only should cling to, but we should celebrate by being holy as he is holy. By being righteous as he is righteous. By being just as he is just. By being like him. He gave us everything so that we can be renewed in our minds, so we can be transformed so that we can live abiding in Christ and abundantly in that new life that we have in him. Just think of this. Christ's very righteousness has been placed into your account. And so God's not only declared you righteous, but he actually deals with you as if you're sinless. You're not sinless, but God deals with you as if you are sinless. He's wiped away the penalty. He's cleaned up the debt. He's made invisible to everyone forever. Everything that you have done, everything you did do, and everything you will do. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the declaration. That's the judicial declaration of justification. And that liberty does not lead me to license to sin. It means freedom in Christ to enjoy everything that God wants for me. What he has determined, that perfect poema, workmanship that we are in Christ Jesus, we are free to live that. Isn't that amazing? That God squares away our debt so that we can have all he wants for us. We can walk in it and live it and be it. We're no longer in that bondage. You see, before I met Jesus, I was always waiting for the hammer to fall. Anybody else in that category? you like, you knew you deserved to get whacked. You were absolutely certain that one day something really horrible was going to happen and you would deserve every bit of it. But because you have been justified by faith in Christ Jesus, you do not have to worry about that day anymore. Does that not boggle your mind? That's how great the faith resulting in grace is that you have. 
that even though you are still a sinner and even though you do stumble and even though you have sinned actively in the present day since becoming a child of God, so great is the grace of God that it even erases those things. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. And the reason this is so important practically is the devil comes in and tries to condemn you. It's like, well, if you're really a child of God, that would never happen. Now, while it is not supposed to happen, and it is not God's will in your life, and God doesn't want you to do that, the devil says, well, you're not a child of God because you did. You were never saved because of what you don't do. You were saved because of what Jesus did for you. Don't forget that. Amen? That's why Paul says there in Romans 8, for there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Because you've been declared righteous. The judge of heaven said, I see the blood of my son. So whatever you've done, it's covered. Would you please live for me? Please don't do that anymore. Please turn from those things. Repent of your sin so that you can live a victorious Christian life. But you are saved by faith resulting in grace and that cleanses you from all unrighteousness and no one can throw that back in your face. Amen? Would you stand with me and we'll close in prayer. And I want to remind you, maybe you're here today and you're saying to yourself, I, I don't know that I've ever actually received that grace. I, I don't know that I've believed by faith and you want to do that. I want to give you an opportunity today to do that. Would you bow your heads with me right now? And, and if you're here today and you think that, that you've never made that profession of faith, you've never believed in the only begotten Son and you want to do that right now so that you can have your eternity squared away, would you simply slip your hand up wherever you are throughout the sanctuary? I want to pray with you. We're going to pray together. And you can receive that grace, that faith. I see that hand in the back. Praise the Lord. I see this hand in the middle. I see this other hand in the back. I see that hand in the back. It's a simple prayer because the Bible is very clear. If you believe on him, you'll be saved. I see that hand to my right. Any others? You, you want to know that your eternity is squared away. You, you don't want to dread that day when you take your last breath. You want to go with confidence that when you leave this earth you're heading to heaven I see that hand as well in the back to my right anyone else I see this hand in the middle praise the Lord for your boldness because this is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life those that raise your hands would you pray this very simple prayer with me you can pray it out loud you can put your hands down turn your attention to heaven and just pray along with me these words Father in heaven, I admit that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. Lord, I've been worn out from trying to do it. And I pray that you would receive me into your kingdom. I believe by faith in Jesus Christ that Jesus is God's Son. He died on Calvary's cross buried in the grave he was raised three days later I believe these things Lord and I'm asking you now to forgive my sin to declare me guiltless 
to write my name in the Lamb's book of life. I'm giving my life to you right now. I'm yours. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.